Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Beginnings can be messy. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 410, The Galactic Barrier, comes to you now via programmable antimatter. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. And indeed, Pete, fleet operations as there's some movement ahead. First up, Picard returns this Thursday. Already excited that we seem to have really hit the slingshot point of Discovery considering this episode. And now, Matt, that over the next three weeks, we're going to get six live action star trek episodes for the first time in 23 years this is awesome indeed a picard season that promises to give us a storyline which imagines that the near future of the mid 2020s could actually be worse than the beginning of the 2020s pete where do they dream this stuff up in a writer's room (laughs) um so as a result of picard's return the following shifts are happening uh the discovery podcast is going to move to saturdays and the picard podcast will be on sundays so pete among other things i am super excited to be doing uh two days a week of star trek podcast goodness yes and this will remain this way uh through the end of march when we bring in uh, marvel's moon night and that'll uh take up the saturdays and then we'll readjust again the week that we have the Moon Knight finale, the uh, Picard finale, the premiere of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I believe there's a Marvel movie that week as well. Uh, thankfully, no Obi-Wan Kenobi series till later in May, but there still might be something happening that Tuesday for Star Wars. <laughs> Indeed, that's all that's going on. So yeah, that that golden first week in May, subject to all sorts of time eddies and reschedules and so forth. Uh, I do know this, Pete, that after that has occurred, certainly Strange New Worlds will be sticking with the Star Trek Sunday spot, and uh, Kenobi will be on the Saturday spot. But that's that's the far off future. Uh, in terms of feedback for these next couple of weeks, uh, the Discovery Twitter poll will post on Thursdays and be open through Saturday, uh, and the Picard uh, podcast poll is going to post on Fridays, that through Sundays. So, uh, Pete, some tight quarters here, but you know, as I said before, super exciting times. So mark your calendars as we head into the future. With that, let's head into the mission briefing. A Starfleet combadge from the era of Jean-Luc Picard lies on the conference table in front of Dr. Kovich as he explains whatever they think they know about species 10C, they're wrong. However, they think first contact will go, it won't. They destroy the first DMA with an isolytic weapon. Earth Defense Force General Ndoye asks about all the communicators assembled before them, and Kovic says they're to translate confirmation bias from Federation standard to Klingon. Dr. Harai finds that hilarious because they can't assume Tensi even communicates verbally. He's joined President Rillick, Admiral Vance, Navarre President, Tarina, Saru, Ndoye, and Burnham, on the task force as a specialist in astrolinguistics, xenophonology, and theoretical semiotics. Uh, I love that Dr. Harai is the only one eating the snacks therein provided, something that he will do in future scenes. I don't know what it means, Pete, other than maybe he's just a guy who dives on into things in the moment, enjoy the joys ahead of you and all that. Uh, Kovic notes that the crew are being prepped for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour? A three-hour tour. Pete, that's a classical reference. I honestly am surprised that maybe nobody has rebooted Gilligan's Island. Um, Seems like it could be a 
a prime launch opportunity here. But no, no, it's just uh, just a humorous Earther reference. By the way, speaking of Kovich, he won't be coming on this mission. He has something more important to worry about, you know, more important than the future of life as we know it in the Alpha Quadrant and other quadrants. Um, so we'll stick a pin in that and discuss what that might be in the future. Uh, we change a bit, and Stamets gives a presentation to the president and to Vance. The new DMA is chewing through space so fast that it will be done in 12 hours, which, Pete, I feel like is story clock way to say, in this hour of TV, it will be done eating. Spoiler alert, it is. Uh, the president notes that more delegates are coming uh, because, of course, Pete, the task force isn't going to be the only representative group on Discovery. There's also going to be this overall group of folks from the uh alpha and beta quadrants uh navarre's rep is going to come too they sneak the line in there that uh it, it, navarre's rep will be here soon however discovery is leaving in 12 hours regardless pete i did not uh fully appreciate that they only need two hours to be ready there you go. Like, but just the notion that it's setting up something in our B or C plot later on, deliciously hidden there. And I say, hats off to the production. Uh, might have been something they added late. Could have been there all along. Nonetheless, it works here. Um, needing to uh, move forward. And if Navarre has their representative, great. If not, they got to shove off here. Um and then uh, with the Starfleet personnel dismissed to get ready, Rillick informs Vance she'll be transferring power to the vice president as she will be joining the mission. She was, after all, the Federation's top ambassador for 20 years and believes this is where her skills are needed most. Vance points out that nobody's ever left the galaxy and they might not return. And that's why she's counting on him to support the VP. Lara Rillick here is the Federation, though, Vance says. But he's not going to be able to talk her out of it. She trusts him to handle whatever the DMA throws at them next later this episode. And Pete, this whole... Uh, back and forth here reminded me of something that you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, maybe for Discovery. I don't quite remember. Maybe it was Boba Fett. Um, but just this notion of as a writer, you don't need to write the things that you don't need to know about. For example, who's the VP? What's the structure? And so forth. Like That's not important to this story because we're not going to be cutting back to anywhere other than, you know, HQ, where Vance will be the voice of HQ things, um, the story indeed staying with Rillac and Burnham and Discovery and all of that. Um, again, like I had never stopped to think, well, what's the overall governmental structure of the Federation? We've never needed to really know it, nor do we really need to know it here, other than, as noted, Rillac is joining this three hour tour. Uh, with that, we cut to Book's ship, where Book and Tarka are prepping for a new mission booting Tarka off the ship. Uh, the scientist notes that uh, all the science had suggested an internal power source, uh, but good news, it wasn't, because with science, you test things. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. Now they know the power source uh, is actually connected to the hyperfield. Uh, Book had better have a plan to get out of the galactic barrier. Um, however, Tarka says, for the first time, in the episode information that we need for both the book story plot uh and the uh the discovery one that the mycelial network can only take them to the edge of the galactic barrier from there you're kind of on your own power beware the energies that will rip through shields and the cerebellum just like that but pete is there a plan to get them through the galactic barrier you know like we've seen done in classic trek Need to get some programmable antimatter there to their shields, and so will Discovery, so it'll repel that negative energy like magnets. And Tarka just happens to know where there's a stash. Pete, we all should have our own metaphorical programmable antimatter because sometimes you do, in need, uh, do indeed need to push away the bad energies. 
Uh, back to Discovery, it's being sprayed, uh, presumably also with the programmable antimatter. Uh, Seru, at this point, says goodbye to Bryce, who uh, we knew had been working with Kovich and indeed will be staying fo- uh, put. Uh, it feels like a big goodbye for Bryce, who has been a welcome presence to the show. Uh, more on that in the theory segment, Pete. This might be uh, the big goodbye for Bryce uh, for, for good reasons for the actor. Um, Saru, uh, at this point, walks past Tarina. They talk, the air hazy, perhaps, with promise. Uh, he'd like to share a meal with her, though Discovery is leaving soon and may, you know, not return. Uh, Saru says that while he's able to say such things, he's enjoying their new friendship, how he enjoys working with her. He feels that perhaps there could be something more here, more than a friendship. And she, in the best of Vulcan ways, uh, is called away and is unable to respond, even to say, let us continue this later, or thank you for sharing your words. Pete, that's just not the Vulcan way, nor the dramatic way. I don't know who this aide is that's with President Tarina, but one gotta be Romulan and two uh needs to be on our threat analysis he's kind of uh yeah he's he's kind of a block to 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 love um back to discovery Adira Tal is back uh we get the verbal update that uh, Gray is just doing great back there on Trill learning his guardian stuff um Stamets is as a proud papa glad that Adira is repairing the shields like a good little kid and all that uh no hair tussle shown although I think implied by the by the the pride in which Stamets has um Burnham uh, is indeed also happy with having Tall back Adira Tall back uh, with that Burnham is off to see the president Pete in the ready room Burnham tells Rillick she can't have her questioning her orders on the bridge, you know, like earlier in the season. Uh, Rillick needs to manage the delicate political situation, though. They agree that ship and crew are Burnham's and diplomacy and delegates will be Rillick's. On the bridge, Saru tells Burnham all the delegates are settled in with an Earth simile about herding cats. Commander Nelson explains that the network thins as they approach the barrier so Stamets expects them to arrive about four light years from it and they'll warp from there Burnham addresses the ship about her dreams as a child about going where no one has gone before they'll be outside comms contact on this one and on their own but with this crew and these delegates she knows they'll succeed advance watches discovery jump from federation headquarters as he wishes them godspeed in the credits blue del barrio is back no surprise there since blue del barrio is back the episode is written by uh ann kofel saunders and directed by deborah Campmeyer. we return out of the credits with uh disco jumping uh with authority uh, it's not a great view, though, of the Galactic Barrier. They're nine light years away. The reason, of course, they've never been out this far, and the mycelial network has been already aforementioned as uh, thinning and so forth. Now we're off schedule. Detmer, maximum warp to the barrier. Uh, and Pete, after all this action and stuff, I wish we could get some more kind of heart-to-heart, B-plot, relatable storytelling. What happens next? Well, uh, Burnham has just happened to task Saru with updating the delegates as they proceed at warp. And as he enlists Dr. Culber in spreading word to the delegates, they see Tarina is aboard as they round a corner here. Uh, Since the delegate from Navarre did not arrive in time, she had to represent them and then is whisked away by that dastardly aid yet again. And Culver praises Saru for telling her how he feels. Um, but Saru says he would not have done so had he know, known she would be coming. And Culver said that when he met Stamets, he thought he blew it too. He obsessed over every word, but it's okay. Uncertainty, insecurity is okay. On the Canadian quarry planet, 
Book and Tarka head toward the programmable antimatter that they couldn't beam up, and Book doesn't see any shield generators. Uh, indeed, Pete, my notes say cut to Book and Tarka at our favorite Toronto area quarry, question mark. Um, anyhow, uh, in universe, the particulars of the tower and so forth suggest that this is an emerald chain work camp, leading uh, Book to pull out his pistol. Uh, what's going on here? Tarka flashes back to being on the run. He says that the camp has been out of commission for years. He had been a prisoner here, uh, and Tarka admits to uh, to that much. Uh, again, kind of in and out of flashback here, being brought here 10 years ago. He was the new helper sent by Osira. Uh, Pete, I like that we get both the presence of Osira in this episode by name, but mm-hmm. not kind of the necessity of... Yeah, I mean, the actress was great and so on and so forth, but like, we don't need to have Osira to have Osira in this episode. Um, Tarka, 10 years ago, uh, has been tasked on working on a, on a dilithium alternative, uh, as is the yet unnamed Oros, uh, who's working on that too. Tarka sees some other equations, though. Uh, however, he can sleep over there, no talky talks. And then here we get what was the name of his scientist friend. His name was Oros. They bonded over numbers. Eventually, uh, Tarka told Oros that he lost track of how long he was held alone after four or five years. And he shared his trick of falling asleep by listing the digits of the golden ratio. Too easy, says Oros. OK, then let's make it every third digit. And he tells uh, Book in the present They became friends after about a year. Book takes his phaser out of Tarka's face so they can get this antimatter and get on. Back to Discovery. The ETA to the Galactic Barrier is actually uh, right now. They drop out of warp and behold, um, a a brand new Star Trek site of sorts. Yes, there was a couple of classic trek stories two or three times they went to the galactic barrier uh but we see it anew here the edge of the galaxy frontiers are always cool uh notes seru burnham uh runs the numbers uh for safety and has a plan uh indeed the status reports are that the shields are ready but seru notes scans show the negative particles are higher than predicted so shields actually may not hold as expected uh, Stamets suggests that they hop into uh, spatial cells, so to speak, putting Discovery inside of one. Um, and indeed, they want to look <laughs> in in classic Discovery fashion. Science, science, science. So what does it boil down to? The colorful ones. Go to the colorful ones. They're going to do that. And red alert. They head in and Saru says the change in the visible spectra will return once they reach the spatial cell. Linus warns of a gamma burst right before it hits as shields plummet to 35% and they reach a cell. And Rillick needs a word with Burnham about a classified message as they entered the barrier. For their eyes only, Pete, for their eyes only. Uh, They're going to go and chat. However, the story is going to go back to Book and Tarka. Uh, who note a cloaked ship has arrived. Uh, It's a courier model with certainly some familiarity in the area. Um, Tarka, however, thinks that the antimatter is still hidden. Uh, Why? Well, he comes here every year. We flash back again. Tarka and Oros having a meal, talking math. Or, Pete, for our British listeners, talking maths. Uh, Alarms sound. Oros cries. Uh, Last time this happened, Oros' work friend was taken away. Tarka calms him. His head blew up. (laughs) Indeed. Um, Tarka calming him. No worries, little buddy. Um, Tarka cares, but he's never had a real friend before. Oros admits that he's been uh, working on this side project, multiverse positioning. It's a way out of here. But wait, says Tarka, won't the restraining bolt in our next stop, or guess it would be bolts plural, stop us. Uh, Oros, however, thinks that the interdimensional transporter will work. It'll take a lot of power. Wait a minute, Pete. We've been talking about Tarka's desire for a big power source for quite some time. Uh, but the camp's geothermal thermal energy source plus the warp core they're working on should do it. Pete, where would they go? 
Oros would like to go to Kailis, which means something like home in his unnamed culture. Uh, his people say it's the most peaceful place beyond suffering. He searched for years and his calculations prove it's real. And he told Tarka he could go with him if he wants. Uh, indeed, with that, the flashback is over. So it's time for action. Uh, we go back to Discovery. Uh, what was that call sent in? It's Vance uh, on the one-way message with information. The DMA has moved. Pete, it's almost like the 12 hours are up. Uh, the DMA has moved to a new harvesting location in the Alpha Quadrant. On its current trajectory, it will impact Navarre and Earth in 71 hours. Evacuations will start, but message ends. Relic wants to go back and help. Burnham wants them to stay put. Burnham also wants to notify the crew, uh, as all the humans on board uh, have a right to know. They decide to stick a pin in that because the spatial cell that they are in is stuck, uh, and they can't do much about it, be it for moments, hours, weeks. Hey, Pete, waiting is cool, right? Uh, not from the look that Burnham and uh, Rillick exchange here, it isn't. Um, after... A pause in the production there. Stamets sees another cell forming that they can ride a current to and through. Zora doesn't think the shields will hold, but Awoshikun says they have maybe five minutes. Uh, and Stamets does some sciencing sciences here. He's cautiously optimistic-ish that they can do that uh, to move from one cell to another to fix the problem. Back to Book and Tarka, uh, we go, they go. Uh, they're back in the old cell. Book looks in the cabinets for antimatter while Tarka flashes back. There's hollow math in the air. Uh, there's hidden antimatter and Tarka grabs it. Um, they uh, were getting ready to use the transporter and um, in the flashback, they're prepping to use it. The transporter gets put together, a modest masterpiece. There should be enough power. They're ready to go. They push the go button, ready to go home. Then it won't work. It needs more energy. And the guards come. Pete, take us back to the present time here with Tarka and Book. Uh, Book here relating really to what had happened as they've gotten what they came for. Um, when his father was working for the Emerald Chain, um, he was really powerless to stop them and, and knew it. Uh, and Book is driven now by not wanting to be powerless. In the flashback again, we see that uh, the guards beat Tarka and Oros and were prepared as the camp was closing to take Oros with them. Um and they reveal that Tarka had betrayed Oros. He was informing on him to Osira and the Emerald Chain. Tarka overpowered the guard and then apologized to Oros. He used the phaser to fry their implants. But all guards were being sent to the lab. It's then that Oros forgave Tarka and sent him away since he would only slow him down. In an escape, he hid in a cave for a week, trying to find a way back into the camp to rescue Oros. Until one day, there was a massive power surge, and he heard ships leave and went back to find the camp deserted. But he found the golden ratio symbol left as Oros's message to him for Kylie's. If anyone could do it, it's Oros. Tarka has not found any record of him since alive or dead, which is why he returns every year. In the meantime, he built his own interdimensional transporter, but trying to find enough power to make it work has taken years, and the DMA power source should have more than enough. And the scene ending with Tarka saying that's who you're dealing with so answering the question asked at the beginning of the book Tarka scenes in this episode uh, and by and large ending this really lovely really sympathetic 
flashback story origin story for tarka which uh, i'm sure we will be discussing further but for now pete we cut back to discovery uh the uh forward shield emitters are going down adira's working on fixing them um the shields are dropping fast but if they can make it to the next cell they should be okay stamets is tasked with getting 30 more seconds of shield juice out of the shields as detmer fires us in the ship spins and spins there's a countdown um they get there just in time seven seconds to go uh the color six. returns six six seconds pete it's so much extra time it's almost not worth counting that's that that's how that's the kind of large margin they're dealing with um great job to detmer and all let's start some repairs uh and burnham and rilak are going to have another sidebar but we're not pete where are we headed to in engineering, Zora congratulates Stamets, and he apologizes to Adira for being a little over-enthusiastic, but knows how hard it's been for them to be without Gray. He warns them he will always reach for them if it seems they're hurting, since his father was never there for him. Uh, we now go back to the Burnham and Rillick conversation right now they can control who knows what uh concerning the you know threat to navarre and earth and that's about all they can control uh those secrets burnham is angry at the situation angry at the dma creators angry at book angry at the possibility of failure uh both women have connections to earth uh, including relax partner who has recently started his research project on earth's moon Burnham says that they must be honest with each other and themselves. But Pete, should we be concerned about Burnham's family back home? Well, her mother and uh, her charge here, Javini, uh, as Kawat Malat, they are on uh, Pajar, so they are away from the threat. But, uh, you know, with Rillick's mother's family and partner within uh the the threat zone here obviously supporting one another like this crew has in the worst of times is going to be the only way through and that takes honesty we have a slowly growing list of secondary and tertiary characters who are still on the board and may return the next next couple of episodes so the, so the but... rescue along with vice president tilly <laughs> well time will tell about that uh let's go back to book's ship where tarka is applying the programmable antimatter uh, book says that tarka shouldn't blame himself for leaving oros out there tarka will find him and along the way stop the dma and save billions uh which i think is a good restatement of Tarka's desire the entire time, but now we kind of understand it in context. Uh, we go back to Discovery. The ship is now fully out of the Milky Way galaxy and into extra galactic space. There are so few stars. It's empty and quiet. Rilak wants to address the ship and says that the crew and the delegates have faced and met the first challenge of this mission. Thank you for your bravery and strength. However, the DMA is headed uh, towards Navarre, Titan, and Earth. Rilak feels your pain under this threat, and Pete, we cut to astonished reactions. And now, Pete, I know whenever I'm feeling an astonished reaction about the threat of humanity being at risk, I go to the same place that the story does. Pete, where are we headed next? I really enjoyed this less is more presentation of the reactions around the ship. We know what the stakes are. There's no need in a 51 minute episode to belabor them so we head to discovery's lounge where later saru finds tarina and he dismisses that aid yes so that he can tell her how sorry he is at this news and she asks him to sit with her in front of a roaring fire Pete, is that fire a metaphor for his heart? It's a metaphor for something steamy. <laughs> In the captain's ready room, Burnham shows uh, a vision of the hyperfield uh, and a planet not too far away from it. 
the ship is going to head to that planet and try and find information to help with first contact. I believe dialogue says that there's no recognizable life uh, on the planet. Uh, Burnham also thanks Rilak for sharing the news. Rilak notes that she was given the baton, but why? Why Rilak announced, not Burnham? Burnham says that a leader needs to show confidence, security, uh, an unflappable sense of leadership. Rilak is appreciative that they have been able to connect ahead of meeting with the 10C. But Pete, what will they find? No idea, Burnham says, but they have to succeed as Discovery continues at warp. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with space, the galactic barrier. We have been there before, you know, Gary Mitchell and his heightened ESP level, you know, powered up. But remember, the galactic barrier continues to push out. So that was actually further back. We're we're deeper into extra galactic space now so you know we can get even weirder a lot of people questioning when book uh with his uh mental capabilities passes through the barrier will he be an even garrier mitchell book Ooh, that's an interesting idea it'll either be that or it'll be like and bookship made it through because we didn't want to <laughs> deal with that particular storyline um pete another threat in this episode the one that has vastly changed in the course of this 51 minute episode is ruan tarka yes and we sympathize with him and knowing now the full context of his interaction with the scientist friend oros and the mystery of whether he actually made it to what his culture calls Kylie's and, and that moving forward. Um, but what did he do? He sold Oros out and yes, he regrets it and we feel bad for him. But in his words, uh, paraphrasing here for our clean Apple podcast rating, he was a jerk. And I, I think it's worth pointing out too, at least in yeah, at least in Tarka's telling as the guards came in, the selling out of Oros was a beginning of the process sellout, not a recent thing. Um so if there's a let me this way, I take Tarka at his word. I take Tarka at the sympathetic uh storyline that he's given here. I feel totally kind of rejuvenated on the character as complex. And among other things, I mean, we've been talking about kind of the sad looks that Tarka has. I don't know how much the actor had ahead of time or if it was like, imagine the saddest thing that could happen to you. You know, so for the actor, it might be like something different than what happened to Tarka, but he's channeling that. But boy, does it work. Boy, does this does this bit of information in the 10th episode of the season really make the, the character fit really uh, firmly in, and I think how we're supposed to feel for him in lesser hands. I think that Tarka could have come off as very one note in this episode and throughout the season, but Sean Doyle has really reached to levels, you know, where we had some kind of mustache twirling a little earlier in the season. This character has really become complex. With that, let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. First one from me, Pete. Will Discovery ever return to the galaxy? And if not, how will Tilly's promised return return? Listen, right now, Tilly, Kovic, Bryce, uh, Burnham's mom, and Javini, okay, are all going to hold off the DMA before they jump in at the last moment with the other prototype spore drive map, because why make one when you can make two for twice the cost in a castless society uh, to rescue everybody and then have some Romulan ale. 
Um, that's not an impossible idea. Uh, Pete, did Oros make it, or in this increasingly pessimistic world that we live in in 2022, uh, is are we also living in a pessimistic universe where Oros made the jump, but he did not make the last jump home? I'm not going to answer a question with a question to be a jerk. I just get a sense it's going in this way. Is Oros 10C? Hmm. That that would let us have the 10C be something we've never seen before and also be, you know, as we've been talking about all season, this Twilight Zone-esque and the 10C was us all along. Uh, I, I rather like that. Uh, and indeed, Pete, speaking of the team of people helping out both on Discovery and potentially back on Earth and so forth, uh, will Dr. Harai be here for multiple episodes? And follow-up question, what's with all the snacking? Well, he's Kovic's representative here in the fields that they identified. Uh, so he ain't heading back uh, inside the galaxy while they're out this far. I think the snacking is just an affectation they've given him thus far until uh, they talk about it. So Bryce's mission back home, uh, quote unquote, may be tied to the fact that actor Ronnie Rowe Jr. Uh, is second lead on the CBC and BET Plus series The Porter. So best wishes to him. And I think that Saru's dialogue, you know, wishing him well on his new endeavor. I was like, oh, this feels like the show doing right by this guy and saying you might never come back, but we don't want to kill you off because you're a great character and a great actor, but best of luck that you can't return. Um, but anyhow, Pete Kovic is back at HQ too, working away. Uh, what do you think this more important than your whole save the universe plan is the Kovic has? So remember when we first met him, it was all temporal accord stuff. And we know that there are tachyons inside uh, the DMA. So I think there's some, is it how, how you say, Matt, timey-wimey going on there? And clearly he needs to be able to do that. We know that Tilly's going to return, I'm sure, given the association with Kovic early in the season and there at Starfleet Academy, there'll be need for her expertise. I, I like that they gave Bryce a moment. Uh, Matt, if only they had given, you know, version one of Crusher a moment before the unceremonious dump off to Pulaski and then the almost as unceremonious dump of Pulaski and return of Crusher. So he gets something that a lot of our, you know, uh, secondary characters, tertiary characters even don't get. Uh, just hope that we might be able to see him again in some Star Trek. Yeah, and of course, the weird, well, weird being an understatement, the, the way in which this season was shot, for all we know, um, his stuff was shot super early or his all his stuff was shot super late. I just feel great that they did write. They did write by the actor and did write by the character. By the way, Pete, speaking of busy people involved in this show um david cronenberg spent summer 2021 not just filming his stuff in discovery but also his new film crimes of the future which is coming out later this year so i mean talk about talk about you know success and i mean cronenberg has been up front like why am i doing the, these acting jobs it's to help fund my real passion which is making movies so Best of all worlds, he's presumably having a good time on Discovery, and he's able to make uh, Crimes of the Future, which sounds like a weird movie. I don't know if we're going to be checking it out in any official or unofficial capacity, but uh, dude had a busy 2021, same as Ronnie Rowe Jr. And Wilson Cruz has talked about you know performing against him and just the level of preparation that he goes through. You know, he's not an actor, and you know to be able to bring that gravitas to it. Uh, so what is he up to? We don't know. We'll find out. Um, conspicuous, Matt, that we began the episode a week before the return of Star Trek Picard with a com badge from that series. 
So, well, and to be fair, a bunch of other com badges from throughout time and so forth. Are you well, sig- the, the other ones were universal translators. Um, true. I think there was at least one Discovery era f- flip phone type model. Uh, pardon me, when I say Discovery era, Discovery season one pre Kirk flip phone. Um, are you suggesting Pete some larger thing? Are you suggesting some some Picard crossover next week? I mean, that they would reach for that particular prompt. Again, it certainly seems conspicuous by its inclusion. Am I suggesting that what happens in season two of Star Trek Picard leads to the 10C? I mean, we're not on Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe level of connection, at least not yet. It is interesting to think that, you know, all the cool kids are doing the massive crossover thing um to varying levels of success um and uh, that's part of the stated mission for the last you know almost 18 months year and a third uh for the star wars live action tv shows um it is interesting that it seems like star trek uh star trek is not going that route i'm not necessarily complaining because at what point do you go oh man q is like Let's go to the future, Picard. And then he's on the bridge there with Burnham. Like, th- there's something that feels a little inauthentic about that. And I don't know why. Maybe that's because Star Trek has done so few crossovers. Um, in fact, I'm just thinking of like no crossovers other than look, Worf brought the Defiant to this fight. Now they're all angry at Worf for reasons I'm not entirely clear on, other than dramatic stuff for that movie. Um, so I don't know. I, Pete, I don't know if I would argue for the big, the big time thing that brings together Strange New Worlds, Picard, and Discovery, but I think I'm open for it. Well, we had the clickbait article from uh, Matt's favorite unnamed clickbaity article source this week that explained why Picard and Strange New Worlds won't cross over. Uh, spoiler, because they're in different eras. <laughs> And kind of, like, the mandate of Strange New Worlds is, you know, we are proud to do 21st century TV in a variety of ways, whether it's content, whether it's language, whether it's, you know, the the things that are shown or discussed. Strange New Worlds is going to be throwback old school stuff. Like, I would be surprised, Pete, if we even get swears. And if we do, I think it's going to be like a gosh darn it kind of swear. They're just going for the more retro feel in a lot of ways so yeah i'm I'm seeing what other things are on that website just because there's always redonkulous things like you know hitting whatever the hot story is as many times as possible um but pete i digress let's stick with theories on the sensors here what theories do you have so relic uh you know uses her constitutional ability to transfer power to the vice president and forms vance that she's doing so and needs his help uh, to make sure the transition runs smoothly. Is Rillick, who we've just now found out was the top ambassador for 20 years, is she going to wind up pulling a uh, commander, Captain Decker, by the end of this season with the 10C? Hmm. That's an interesting question, in part because I think the show, the show that it wants to be, being Star Trek, finding consensus, finding partnership, and so forth, I think the show has kind of reached a logical endpoint of Rilak v. Burnham fighting for control of the situation. Could other shows do it? Sure. Could this show? It could, but it's not that Star Trek message of we found the common ground and so forth. So then what is Rilak there for? I mean, cool presence, great actress, and so forth. Um, but if, Pete, you're arguing, well, somebody's got to be the pound of flesh here, and it's not going to be Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Wilson Cruz, you know, and so on and so on down the main cast list, that's not a bad theory there to say Rilak, who's been around, is it just this season, Pete? Yes. Okay, uh, you know what? We had the... a president mention last season, but she didn't appear until this season. The 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 season break has 
has been well served in that it feels like real act has been around forever now fine 10 episodes in even if you're doing one a week non-stop it still is going to feel like a decent amount of time but point is the character feels well worn in at this point if you're going to tell me that in the next you know three weeks by saint patrick's day she's going to give the ultimate sacrifice and we'll wipe away a tear for her and then say and returning next season is all the characters i like even more than her I mean, it's a great use of it's a great use of the character. It, it would be. I wouldn't argue to do it because she's so great. I say keep her, but but uh, that's a great idea. This cloaked courier ship that went to the former Emerald Chain War Camp and then left. Oros is missing. Seemed like, from what book could tell, that this ship. The couriers have raided this a couple times. Is it possible they just missed Oros? Well, I know this. On rewatch, it's such a strange moment to have that ship be there. Like, for, for example, or first of all, I should say, it's cloaked. Why is it cloaked? Like, who cares? Is it, was that to save effects money? Here's a way to save effects money even more cut that part of the scene because it doesn't really right. it doesn't really give them any extra like therefore we must hurry up because the rest of the scene it's already slow and I'm not saying too slow but it's already slow with let me stop and do a flashback okay flashback which we know is in the past and is not going to be the attack of the cloaked ship in the present time while he's sitting there thinking about the past I don't know why that's in there and I don't know why even if you've oh, well, we've done the effects isn't that the other fine just cut the thing if it's not doing any good so it seems like, Pete, you're suggesting it might be doing good for next week's episode because it didn't do anything to improve this episode. Is Kyleese real, Matt? And if Sean Connery was alive, <laughs> would he be playing uh, Tarka's uh, brother? Uh, well, to the to the second question, yes, of course. Uh, finally, they'll get Sean Connery. Finally, they could have gotten Sean Connery after. Shakari. Indeed, <laughs> they for... named the thing after they missed out on the actor. <laughs> or was it that they had missed out? What, what or could I... Kylie be? Is is this named for K- Kylie Minogue? They wanted to get Kylie Minogue to play the Ten C, and instead, they got a Canadian regular. <laughs> Um, you know, Pete, back to your original question, it did have me wondering the way this other dimensional paradise was being described. It kind of felt like a description of heaven. Um, and it's like, you know, is Star Trek advocating for a science only explanation of heaven? Well, no, of course not. But would Gene have done that? Maybe like, I think there's a very interesting intersection point where there it's by and large on faith for us yes there's underlying math that kind of gets glossed over for we the audience because it's fake math it's not real math um but there's this there is math to suggest that this is an alternate dimension the same as the mirror dimension and this one and kelvin and so forth but kind of emotionally this is heaven this place of perfect paradise and i just found it it was an interesting intersection point even though i don't think the episode was arguing in one direction or another if it is leading towards a heaven well is heaven attainable in this life i i think not so then what does star trek do with that you know uh, one option is we never find out about oros or we get the, the little a little glimpse that he got there and it's kind of more mystery than anything else um i'm not quite sure what to make of it i know it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing to throw into this episode we're on a story clock now, officially, Matt, 71 hours to prevent the effects of the gravitational wave from the DMA hitting Navarre, Titan, and Earth. Yeah, I wonder what the internal discussions are like. You know, you had pointed out last week uh, or two weeks ago when Stamets says uh, the DMA will be in this spot for 100, which is one week. And you pointed out that means we don't need to worry about it this episode. We need to worry about it next episode, one week from now. Wink, wink. Well, that was the old DMA, though. Right. Well, true. I'm, I'm just saying, like, the way the show presents these things there's got to be some sort of internal discussion. Like we want to signal that this is not a this week problem. 
okay, so we say it's going to happen. We think it's going to happen next week. Okay, fine. Same thing here to say, uh, what, the ship is going to leave in the next 12 hours and the Navarre representative might not be here in time. Oh, we're going to leave sooner. Okay, I understand all of that. I understand that we're leaving in a handful of hours or we're going to be caught in the galactic barrier for four hours. You know, whatever it is, it's kind of within the realm of our 51-minute story. To say 70-some-odd hours until the destruction of Earth and Navarre feels very much like a next week I don't mean next week, like seven days for them. I just mean it feels like we're saying we got to put our foot on the on the gas pedal next week, you know, in the next episode for realsies to solve this. Um, but again, I just wonder what are these discussions like where you go, well, what numbers do we throw out there that make sense? And ultimately, what do you what's the what's the basic want of a writer's room? We don't want to confuse people when they should be clear on things. Well, I mean, episode 411, 412. 413 remaining less than 72 hours seems to kind of line up yeah i would certainly agree that it's again just that number is not so fast that we can't go oh man it's gonna take us 45 minutes to warp there oh i mean the audience knows everybody's dead um and and you're right too the next three episodes don't need to they're, they're a week away two weeks away three weeks away for us it could be all happening within a handful of hours, the next three episodes for, for their time. Again, it, I, I'm just trying to say here we are trying to figure out what the show wants us to think about the time that everybody has. And then Ambassador Relic Matt wanted to reverse course when they got this news. The person who, you know, gave control up of the presidency who has 20 years of ambassadorial experience, wanted to go back and worry about Earth and Titan and Navarre when they're out this far? That that felt a little odd. Pete, are you saying that maybe she packed some flip-flops because here she is flip-flopping? Wow. Um, <laughs> it, it does make me wonder, too. Like your, your question makes me wonder if she's given up the power of the presidency, what power does she have here maybe that's an added um purpose to the scene earlier in the episode where they're kind of saying i'm in charge of diplomacy and you're in charge of the ship like maybe that's maybe that was the show end running us having concerns about what's the constitutional nature is she still commander-in-chief and blah 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 it's just no no no. there's this agreement whether it's informal or formal or whatever here's who's in charge of what let's not let's not worry about what the federation constitution says again this is a super super well written episode in a variety of for a variety of reasons one is we get our kind of sci-fi action we get our personal stuff um and again they're kind of having us not pay attention to the things they don't want us to worry about so great cheers all around and with that pete let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir Pete, we start, as we always do, with the Twitter poll. Uh, the option here, what human earther phrase captures your thoughts in episode 110? Uh, the first choice was uh, herding cats. That got 26.1%. A three-hour tour got 52.2%. And then season's greatest, question mark, got 21.7%. Uh, some replies here, first from JT Adkins. That JTA is me on Twitter. Love the episode. Tarka's backstory makes him more sympathetic, but he's willing to endanger the entire Alpha Quadrant so he can get to sci-fi paradise. He really needs to fess up and say it. Time is the fire in which we burn. Pete, (laughs) I'm sure you understand the reference. Of course. Uh, Next tweet here from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo, 1983. The Gilgan's Island reference had me cracking up. Uh, Love Cronenberg's dry delivery. The episode has given us a lot of background for Tarka, but I still don't like him. I just want to see the 10C now. Stop drawing this out. The suspense is killing me. Pete, what can you say to Andre? When do we get to see the 10C in the next three episodes? I mean, provided that we've not met a member of their species already with Oros. I don't know. Um, I've seen some stuff of what's coming next week they could drop it then i i i think if i was a betting person i'd say the penultimate episode i'd say 412 okay 
James the Sagacious, that's at Big Kiln on Twitter, has the next tweet here. Great episode. The tardy Vulcan ambassador was so obvious, but that's exactly how office romances play out. Zakovich <laughs> is a time traveler, right? He looks more out of place in the future than anyone from Disco. Only something from another time could pull him away. Maybe the 10C exists simultaneously in multiple times, and only by doing contact in all times at once can they see us. Sokovich is running several first contact missions as he travels through time. Or I watch too much sci-fi. Can't wait for the podcast. I really like that theory. I, I do really too. I really like that theory. That'd be cool. Yeah, that really would be. And it also would be a way to keep... Like, I think it's worth... It's worth considering the possibility that Discovery stays out on the other side of the galactic barrier, at least for some time. Uh, probably not, but, it, you know, it's a possibility. And it would be a way for, like, you know, time god Kovich exists everywhere and can bring in the Tilly and the mom and all of that. So, Pete, uh, time will tell unless you exist the way James does. Then he knows the answers simultaneously. <laughs> uh, next tweet uh, is from Stingray. That's at TrekGirl88. Another great episode. The tension in the Galactic Barrier scenes was spot on. You know our crew is going to make it through, but are they? Bravo to President Rillac for choosing to tell the crew that the DMA is now headed towards Earth and Navarre. Also loved Saru's panic at finding out Tarina stayed on Disco for the first contact mission. His discomfort is so relatable. Dating is weird enough in current times. Nice to see th some things never change. <laughs> wow. Um... Next up here is Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter, who says, uh, crew members with high Esper ratings in TOS experience drastic changes, evolving yeah. quickly into almost godlike beings, i.e. Gary Mitchell. Makes me wonder if Quajani's are also high ESP. Yeah. Uh, I know that Matt and Pete have speculated on what's next for his book's character and his and Burnham's relationship. Maybe this is a natural exit point. Uh, absolutely loved uh, the reverential approach to the Galactic Barrier. This uh, is what Trek is uh, all about, boldly going. Well stated there. Next uh, tweet from Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at TessLC139 uh, in response to the episode. Not bad, not great. It felt like a get-you-there episode, pun intended, with a shameless Gilligan reference. Sympathy for Tarka is difficult, yes, understandable. My favorite scene was the crew talking about what they'll do when they get home. I love an episode about Detmer and Owo on Hawaiian holiday. Yes. <laughs> yes. Make that There's episode. There's your short track. There it is. Um, they're really uh, talk, uh, taking a long time to unravel the DMA 10C mystery, waiting for the Scooby-Doo reveal. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. Um, next tweet here is from Rose Ferry. That's at Anna Rose 584. Will we see Commander Bryce on the bridge ever again? No trade should be allowed on the bridge crew. I'm enjoying the story, but it seems uneven to me, and I cannot figure out exactly why I feel that way. Pete, I know for this episode, you know, like I like I said before, sci-fi, you know, science problems, action adventure, relatable, you know, a human story of of friendship and connection, um, even with Tarka and an alien, you know, to me, to me, this felt like a very even, even episode. Now I think Rose They're is speaking most about complete of, of the season hands down. And, and that 50 plus minute runtime just ran by. Um, it, it, it really, really did. Um, another tweet here from Spider-Ham Lincoln who had asked, uh, when will we get this scene, which is a uh, cool hero shot in black away uniforms and shiny armor we got colber detmer burnham and seru walking down the hall hero style uh kclyle and you pete said that we have not seen that scene yet so cool action ahead um and speaking of kclyle1 on twitter that's calvin was right uh they wrap us up for this week by saying great episode this show just looks amazing the visuals are stunning a lot of trek babble but it worked for me uh tarka and oros are more than just friends question mark nice to see the bridge crew again i really like the president really hope she doesn't end up being some kind of villain that would be a bummer the three-hour tour had to be a gilgan's island uh, reference right right bridge crew adira but no reno dang good luck in the alpha quadrant so pete i know we've discussed um reno uh being in less of these episodes due to uh the actress 
well, frankly, wanting to have less time on set due to mm-hmm. health concerns. Um, on the topic of Tarka and Oros being more than just friends, I had kind of wondered that. And then I kind of, by the end of the episode, I was like, the episode seems to not care one way or the other. Is the episode saying, I shouldn't care one way or the other? Do I care? Maybe I don't care? So your thoughts, Pete? I I think they're leaving us in a place where it could go both ways. All right, so they were laying next to one another doing hologram math. Um, that doesn't imply anything more, but it doesn't preclude it. Um, the way he had initially spoken of his friend, I think, smacked of some kind of romantic situation. But it, it doesn't need to be that. With that, Pete, let's hear from all the way on the other side of the galactic barrier. It's a message from Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 10. Just a very short feedback because I'm very busy coming back to my remark in one of the previous podcasts that I said, oh, book, just shoot this a-hole, Tarka. And in this episode, he, well, the makers, the writers, humanized him with his whole interaction with his cellmate, more or less. It didn't work for me. He still is the same, let's say, a-hole as he was. I think it goes up and down, and as we often see, when the villain gets humanized and then everybody is doubting, oh, he is not that bad, perhaps we should give him some redemption. Well, I won't go for it. It's still the same Tarka for me. Okay, that was a very short feedback. Sorry, guys. Till next time, Fred from the Netherlands. Oh, P.S. My wife had a little nitpick that Kovic is wearing glasses so far in the future. What about that? Isn't that a nitpick? Okay, bye. Uh, Matt, also on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Fred adds that he's ready to go for Star Trek Picard Season 2. This time he will be coming from under uh, his stone in time. Uh, He missed the season four premiere of Star Trek Discovery and the premiere of the book of Boba Fett. And he added uh, a soundless video of uh, Soji doing the data head tilt by Frakes at the pizza oven in uh, Star Trek Picard season one. There you go. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. So, Pete, your thoughts here uh, with Kovic and his glasses. They have explained the glasses uh, back with uh, Mirror Giorgio. Uh, He likes them. He's a fan of uh, the anachronistic. Uh, You have to wonder if that portends to whatever secret thing he's working on. And uh, Fred squarely in the camp of, you know, let's not be too sympathetic towards Tarka. I have to admit, Pete, I was so swept up by the flashback story that I, I guess my natural position was, oh, Tarka's not a bad guy anymore. Although I think Fred wisely reminding us, no, 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 he could still turn around and he's going to push the blue button when everybody else says red or whatever it might be. So uh, I think wise words to still watch out for Tarka. I think he'll do whatever suits Ruan Tarka. Pete, would Ruan Tarka go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the thoughts of helping us out with storage and bandwidth costs? Probably not, because we are not powered by an underlying massive power source, but instead by the support of others who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Who have to be Quajani, Matt, because they're empathetic souls that just want to see the universe work in harmony. So get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. It takes just a dollar a month to get behind that door. All sorts of things to check out. We're going to be recording one uh, here for February. A little very different from uh, what we've done before. And again, that's why it's only going to be behind that door. 
And Pete, the fact that we are listener supported is something that we take so much pride in. And our thanks, as always, to our patrons. Let's keep the Star Trek conversation going, particularly as we count down to Picard and count down to the remaining three episodes of Discovery for this season. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,376 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H like it today. As you mentioned before, Pete, listeners on Patreon can listen for an exclusive something something coming in the near future. Uh, if you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, uh, and indeed the Discovery feed, don't forget we're going to be discussing Discovery next Saturday and Picard on Sunday. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I'll do my best not to kill us. Thank you.